Hey everybody, uh, welcome back. It is Thursday night if you're watching this live on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. I'm Corey Miller, uh, here with Frank Cusimano, and a special guest yeah. it, it looks like, if he's still there, <laughs> for Sports Plus Live. Frank, if uh, your dog's still there, bring him in. Who is this? <laughs> this is Ted. Ted has uh, never had an accident in his life. We call him perfection. The other one, Jack, he's bad news. We love them both, though. <laughs> oh, he's cute. Uh, some good news right now. Uh, baseball, well, Thursday Thursday night, unless you're listening to this on the Sports Plus podcast, that's when uh, we're recording this. Baseball is being played at Bush Stadium as we speak here live on Facebook. The Cardinals are doing their first inter-squad inter scrimmage game. Paul DeYoung's already hit a home run. Jack Flaherty got the start. How nice does that sound, Frank, just to have baseball back in some form? Yeah, I was down there for a little bit in that first inning, Corey. Um, it was great to see these guys, and I think we'll get into it, that they're a lot further along than we all thought they would be. I mean, this is not like the opening days of spring training. These guys are basically ready to go. But it was also really eerie. I mean, let's face it, there were about – you know, 35, 40 players on the field, four or five coaches, and about 15 media members. It was so quiet. It was just a morgue. It was crazy to see. But, boy, you liked what you saw with Paul DeYoung getting off to a great start. You knew he would. I mean, we've been telling you all spring long about his work ethic with Colton Wong together. And uh, that was just great to see Paul DeYoung begin with a blast. Did uh, were you able to hear any trash talk or the guys uh, yelling down there? Actually, we are so high up there; it's almost impossible to get any type of dialogue at all. I mean, we're up in the press box level, and even with the extender lens on our cameras, you just you can't get much of a feel for it. I mean, you know what's, if it's a base hit, and you know who looks like he feels comfortable at the plate, but. Uh, you you don't get that real sense of, you know, trash talking and actually what's going on in the field. Let's talk a, a little bit about this past weekend. The Cardinals and a lot of other teams uh, had kind of testing backlogs and had to rethink their whole, uh, their practice plans. If there's not a way to figure out how to nail down testing for a, a smooth transition, what are we looking at for a season? Are we going to have delays like this come about, or do you think two weeks is enough time to maybe figure it out? Yeah, I, I doubt it. I, I think they figured it out. I think it was almost like a good wake-up call. I mean, it's not excusing what happened. It's not like the 4th of July is a new holiday, and it snuck up on them. You know, we knew it was coming, and the courier services would not be probably operating at 100%. But I think they realized they can't have any more issues like this. And John Mozeliak was pretty positive about it. And, you know, they were really reluctant to, to criticize the whole testing procedure. And look, it, it's, we've never gone through this before. A little snafu, it cost them a day. And, you know, they came back the next day and they figured something out that you should not be practicing in St. Louis, Missouri, you know, in July at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. So all the workouts are going to be at 530 to 830 every night. Yeah, that's a good point. They had to move that one to later in the day, and uh, I, I, honestly, they should do that going forward. That's the time the games are going to be anyway, so uh, I think that's a good way to look at it. This hopefully is a wake-up call, and hopefully they learn something from it, uh, but it wasn't just the Cardinals. It was around baseball, so hopefully 
uh, they get their testing switch situated. If you're watching us live, if you got a question or a comment you want to talk about, put it down there at the bottom of the video. I'll try to get to you. Frank, who do you think may be on the Cardinals is one guy. It's just 60 games. It, it's a sprint, not a marathon, as Jack Flaherty said in his, uh, his interview session yesterday. Who's one guy who you think, if he gets hot, he could carry this team for two months? Well, I mean, the obvious one would be would be Paul Goldschmidt, but he's a notorious, you know, slow starter. You know, I think one guy, if he got his mojo working, and we've seen what he can do, like, over a two-week period, I think Tyler O'Neill's interesting. In fact, of all the outfielders the Cardinals have on their roster right now, I think Tyler O'Neill has the best chance of having the most success. I may be wrong about that, but, um, you know, I, I like – I like his work ethic. I like what I saw in spring, and we know what happens when this guy's when this guy's healthy. I mean, that's you know that's kind of my long shot. Goldie's the obvious one. I'm looking forward. I know you think this the same way too. We both are counting on a bounce back performance from Matt Carpenter, and asking Matt Carpenter to be the Matt Carpenter he was two years ago. Uh, for those couple months at the end of the year, the middle of the year, that's asking a lot because he hit over 400, was hitting a home run, it seemed like, every other day. But if he's even a fraction of that, I think he's a guy uh, that could really carry this team. And if he's hitting for power, uh, they're going to need it. You're right, Corey. And um, we both are bullish on Carpenter. I think most of St. Louis is not. They see a man who's 34 coming off the worst season of his career and think decline. But I think of a pretty smart baseball guy who's a baseball lifer, dad, a Hall of Fame coach, that realized this offseason he's got to go back to his roots. He's got to hit the ball the opposite field. And I think he had a terrific offseason. You know, all that work with his father. You know, a lot of guys simply did not have the opportunities that Matt Carpenter had during the work stoppage. I mean, this guy was on a field every day picking up ground balls, throwing the ball, and hitting with his Hall of Fame baseball father. Uh, we have a question on Facebook from Troy asking if we think Carlos Martinez is going to be a starter or closer uh, in this short season. Well, in spring, the plan was always to have him in the rotation. I think that's still the plan as far as I know. Uh, Frank, what have you been hearing? I think there's no doubt about it, Corey. I think because he got a late start here in this summer camp, people thought, well, he's not going to be able to build up some arm strength. And then all of a sudden it was revealed he went seven innings and threw over 90 pitches in the Dominican Republic. And the Cardinals actually have video of that. So Carlos Martinez has been one of the most impressive guys in spring training um, in terms of his attitude, his work ethic, his fitness level. I mean, he even got rid of like the purple hair. This guy means business. And I think he's going to be a starter from day one. I'll say this, uh, people give Carlos a lot of grief, and some of it he, he has brought on himself. And some people forget that he's even on this team a lot of the time. You talk about Jack Flaherty at the top, Dakota Hudson, Michaelis. But you've got a guy who fans might not be counting on a whole lot, who might be the nastiest of all those guys, and I'm including Flaherty in there. When Carlos Martinez is on, his just pure stuff just moves probably more than any guy on the team, and he's just nasty. So... If he shows up and he's ready, uh, I think he could be a huge shot in the arm for this team. Yeah, as great as Jack Flaherty is, just pure stuff, I don't think anybody can say that 
Carlos Martinez doesn't have the best stuff on the staff. So it's about mental makeup and toughness and staying healthy. And let's hope this is not an aberration that he's ready to go. Aaron on Facebook asking about when the Blues are definitely coming back. That's what we're going to get to next. Uh, the Blues start training camp uh, next week, actually. Well, they're supposed to. Uh, they're back practicing. They've been putting out some stuff on social media. After they had a little bit uh, of a spread there with the virus among a few players, the Athletic reported last week. Frank, how big of a deal was that, that the Blues shut down practice for a few days and had a few guys test positive? Was that always an inevitability, or is that something we should be concerned about? No, I think it was inevitable. And I think, you know, it's probably going to happen in the bubble in Edmonton and Toronto, too, where there's going to be a couple like that. The key is, you know, they're tested every day. And if somebody's got a temperature, he's gone for a while. But, you know, you got to remember, um, you know, young athletes. I mean, I, I read somewhere, I guess it was in the Wall Street Journal, that if you're 24 and younger, you have a better chance of being struck by lightning than dying from COVID-19. It's a terrible thing that anybody gets it. It's a horrible thing if anybody dies from it. And believe me, you know, I'm worried about my mom who's 93, who I haven't been able to see in, you know, three or four months. But I think what we have to realize is that these athletes, I mean, these athletes can get it and come back and be okay. 24 and 25 year old young men can get it and be fine. Let's talk about, you're, you're talking about the kind of shape these guys are in. I'm going to compare hockey players to baseball players right now. Baseball guys, they're getting in a couple weeks, they're ready to go. And they've been throwing and pitching even in some cases and hitting in the cage this whole time. Hockey guys probably haven't been able to get on the ice. Just how tough do you think this is going to be for the Blues? I mean, we know how good shape they're in. We know the kind of mental toughness they have. But, I mean, this is a big ask to get in shape, to play these grueling hockey games in a short amount of time. How tough do you think it's going to be from a physical standpoint? Well, you know, they're in the same boat as everybody else. And I think that when we kind of knew that it was coming back, you know, these guys, I think a lot of these guys were rollerblading. A lot of these guys were doing cardiovascular work. And then once they found out, found out that hockey's coming back or had a pretty good idea, they started to skate. You'd be surprised how many Blues players have been at Centene and the Maryville rink and getting ready for training camp. And, you know, the way I look at it, Corey, is they have as good a chance as anybody and a better chance than most. I mean, if you have the goaltender who's already won it and you have the sniper of Vladimir Tarasenko who's coming back and you have this incredible team chemistry and you have a coach who pushes all the right buttons, why not the Blues hoisting the cup in Edmonton in a couple of months? <laughs> That's going to be uh, a, quite an interesting sight, whoever ends up uh, hoisting the cup. I, I Here's something I've been thinking about. These All these leagues have had to prepare. What if multiple people on a team or even a whole team test positive during the season? Are we totally flipping like baseball? Is the entire like B-team roster from Springfield coming up? Or are they going to have to forfeit games? Or I, I think... That is, I don't want to be Mr. Negative and Mr. Downer because I want to see sports just as, as much as anybody. But I've been thinking about that a lot lately. What if this hits an entire team during the season? Yeah, well, if it's only one team, I think your scenario is correct. 
in that you would likely have to bring up, you know, people from your Springfield roster. Um, I don't think they cancel the season if it's just one team. But if you're talking about multiple teams and multiple, you know, you start canceling a lot of games, then you would have to, you know, probably shelve the season. I don't see that happening, though. I think they're going to figure this thing out. I mean, I know there's a lot of people like Buster Olney who says there's a 0% chance we're going to start the season, much less finish it. But I'd put it at over 50% we started, and I still have a good feeling that we're going to finish it. I think, I, I think I'm with you. I mean, I, I am guaranteed I, they're going to start it for sure and just see if they can make it through the whole time. Uh scot-free well not scot-free because we know there's going to be some issues but hopefully they can figure it out like you said let's get to uh your list this week and it was a fun one uh if you've been watching on uh, the nightly newscast frank's been counting down the uh, top 10 most intimidating players in st louis sports history uh we've got a pretty diverse list here a lot of guys uh today conrad dobler was number four I had a fun time looking up some of those pictures because, and you even said this in your track, he looked, I mean, he didn't even, even before you knew how dirty he was and how intimidating he was, just one look at him pretty much told you the whole story. Yeah, he was like a, a bigger Burt Reynolds with a scowl. He had that Fu Manchu mustache and that, that black hair. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, what people don't realize is that, Corey, he played in an offensive line with Dan Deardorff, who's a Hall of Famer, Bob Young, who's a pro bowler, Tom Banks, who's a pro bowler, and Roger Finney. And they protected Jim Hart like no offensive line has ever protected a quarterback. I think it was six sacks that entire season, and one was with the backup quarterback in line. But Dobler was was the uh, – I mean, Deardorff was the best player, but, Do- Deer- but Dobler was the scariest and just the craziest too. Another guy on there, um, Chris Carpenter, who maybe not everybody would think of as that intimidating. He's a, he's a quiet guy. He just goes about his business. But, man, he's a scary dude. If you were out there and he was peering you down, that had to be an intimidating experience, just how big he was. And, I mean, this guy wanted nothing more than to just sit you down. And I would definitely not want to run into him in a dark alley if he was in a bad mood. Yeah, and you know, Corey, at the end of innings, when he'd get a big strikeout in a big game, the yelling that he did, just, rah, you know, not taunting, but he was just so into it, like he was a teammates, if he didn't like what he saw, like Brendan Ryan, who, who he took behind the dugout one day. I mean, this guy was great. And, and in my lifetime, um, after the Gibson uh, World Series game, in 1968, when he struck out 17, the second best pitch game I've ever seen in person was Carpenter's Game 5, 2011 NLDS, when he outdueled his best friend, the late great Hall of Famer. Thing game, I mean that that was so beautiful to watch. I don't think we're giving anything away that to say uh, one of the top two guys is going to be Bob Gibson. I mean, this is a guy whose most of his legacy is built on how intimidating he was. You got to see him in person a few times. Could you tell that in person? Did you have to be in the box to know, okay, this guy is scaring me to death? Or could you tell it in person watching him? 
one time we were doing a live shot at the Fox and it was my responsibility to bring Bob Gibson over to Mike Bush for the interview. And as you know, Corey, the Fox is a big place. So we told Gibson to meet us in the lobby, but our television setup was all the way to the other end of the Fox, including steps. And this was a man probably in his mid sixties with bad knees. He was cussing me up and down as we walked up the steps because I had to move him along to get there to the live <laughs> shot. I was like, I was afraid I was going to get beaten up by Bob Gibson at the Fox Theater. He was scary. <laughs> That's a good story. Um, we got one last question, and then I think uh, we'll call it a, a day on here. Non-sports related. Aaron, again on Facebook. Frank, what kind of dog is uh, Arted and Jack? They, they want to know uh, what kind of pups you got over there. Couldn't you tell they were German Shepherds? You couldn't tell that they were great. One of them was a German Shepherd. One of them was a Great Dane. Hey, Jack. Jack, come here for a second. I'll show you. Here, Chad. Chad, come here right here. Come here. Come here. Tell me something, Corey. Doesn't this look like a Great Dane? Doesn't that look oh like a Great gosh. Dane right there? Yeah, definitely. Oh yes. Jack, come here. Dead Jack. ringer. Treats. Come here, man. And then this guy right here. Jack, I get the treats. I have to con him. Come here, Jack. Oh man, he's not coming. But Jack is equally as fierce. So yeah. No, actually, I we how ordered did, two how did German they... shepherds and they came back. We ordered. How did two they get German their names? Shepherds and well, Jack Jackson is named after my favorite baseball. And Ted is because he's a little bit like a teddy bear. Not named after the Kennedys. Uh, Ted and Jack. Good. I want to confirm that. <laughs> that's good. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in tonight for Sports Plus Live or if you listen on the Sports Plus Podcast. We'll be back next week as uh, sports uh, creep closer to coming back. A lot more Cardinals news for sure. See you guys.